0: Welcome to 15 Days of Festive Fear, day number 13 and I have two spooky stories for you today and the last story comes from September the 15th, 2023 and story number one comes from Julie. I have several stories, however they all tie together in some way. I guess I should start at what I consider the beginning. Back in 1992 or so, my mom's oldest sister, Sheila, passed away quite suddenly with a brain aneurysm. I was eight years old. The night before she passed, my dad had sat me down on the couch and told me my Aunt Sheila was sick and in the hospital. My thought was, as any eight-year-old would think, she'll be okay, she's going to get better. What I didn't know and was too young to understand was that my aunt had the aneurysm two days before and was on life support. The night she had the aneurysm, my aunt spoke to her, my grandmother, on the phone and told her that she was going to lay down on the couch because she had a bad headache. 30-45 to minutes later, my grandmother got a frantic call from my 10-year-old cousin. He was telling her that something was wrong with his mom. She was on the couch and wouldn't wake up although her eyes were open. And just to be clear, she was breathing. My grandmother said she was on her way and for my cousin to call 911. My grandmother lived 10 minutes away but she was there in 5, fast enough that my grandmother was able to take the phone and finish up the call with 911. My Aunt Sheila never regained consciousness. After undergoing brain surgery, she was on life support for three days. What I found out later in life was that the morning she passed, the doctors could not find any brain activity and our family and her husband had decided to take her off life support. The next morning at 6.30am, I heard the phone ringing in the other room. I sat straight up in bed. I just knew something was wrong. Then I heard... Tell them I'm okay and tell Mama to throw away the brown socks. I distinctly remember thinking, what was that? I heard it again, and this time I recognised the voice. This was my aunt. I knew her voice because for as long as I could remember, my mom, my aunt, me and my cousin had spent almost every Friday night together, eating pizza, watching movies and playing games. I got out of my bed and went and sat on the couch waiting for my dad to come into the living room. I think I already knew what was coming in my own way. I didn't turn on the TV or play, I just sat on the couch in silence waiting for my dad. A short time later, he and my stepmom came out of the room and proceeded to tell me my aunt had passed away this morning. I told him, I know daddy, she told me to tell everyone she was okay. He looked at me so confused, I think he was in shock from my answer. He kept explaining that she was sick and she just didn't wake up. And I said, I know, Daddy. She told me to tell everyone that she was okay. I guess it sunk in what I had said this time. My dad paused and explained that people are very emotional right now and maybe it would be best to just keep that to myself. And I agreed. Over the next three days, I heard my aunt's voice several more times, always saying the same thing. Tell them I'm okay and tell Mama to throw away the brown socks. We went through the funeral and I'd left the chapel to head to the graveside service. I was sitting in the car with my mom and my stepdad, just waiting for everyone that needed assistance to get up to the graveside. I saw an opportunity to make my way to the graveside. As I reached for the handle, I heard my aunt's voice again, but louder, but I stayed quiet. When we got up to the graveside, my mom, my grandmother, my mom's other sister, and my aunt Sheila's husband were sitting in the chairs in front of the casket. All of us kids were standing just behind them. The pastor was delivering his eulogy and reading some bible verses when I noticed my grandmother digging in her purse. I thought maybe she was looking for more tissue. After a minute or so my grandmother took a bowled up pair of brown socks out of her purse. I heard her tell my mother Sheila was wearing these when the ambulance picked her up and when they got to the hospital they had taken them off. I asked them if I could keep them and the nurses gave them to me. The next thing was I could see my mom speaking back to my grandmother but I couldn't hear what was said. All I heard was now, now, now. So I leaned over and said "Grandmummy," which is what we call my grandmother and Sheila wanted me to tell you that it's okay and to throw away the brown pair of socks now. Both my mother and grandmother looked at me with such shock. They looked at each other for a few seconds. My grandmother said you need to tell her speaking to my mother and all I could think was Tell me what? That was an answer that I didn't want, nor was I prepared for it. Fast forward to months later and it was the week of my ninth birthday, the first week of October 1992. My mom finally sat me down to tell me what my grandmother was talking about. These details are a bit fuzzy now as I am 40 and this was 32 years ago, but in a way an eight-year-old could understand she basically told me... That all of the women in our family are special. We can hear, feel and sometimes see people that others can't. She told me that some of them may have one or two of these specialities and others, all of them. She had no way of knowing what I would inherit. She went on to ask me if I had heard my aunt or anyone else since the funeral. I told her no. It was a strange three days of my aunt not being able to shut up and repeating herself over and over, so as soon as I said it out loud, that was the last time that I heard her. I asked my mom if she had any of these things and she said yes, she has all three, but it's not all the time. She said she doesn't just see dead people walking and talking all the time. She had discovered that when or if she did, she generally had some relationship, friendship or even a work acquaintance with the people for any contact from the other side. She said it didn't just happen because someone had passed her on the street. I asked her how old she was and she told me she was 16. She went on to tell me because we were all so close and my Aunt Sheila was family, everyone else was so distraught that she thought that was why my Aunt picked me to speak to. She went on to tell me that maybe it wouldn't start up until later in life. She just wanted me to be prepared since it had already happened. You have to imagine how scary it was for a nine-year-old to think now I'm going to see, feel and hear dead people. I will say, after the shock of that information, I honestly don't remember how I felt. But nothing that I recall happened again until I was 15. I'm the eldest of my mom's three children. In order, it's me born in 1983, my sister born in 1988 and my baby brother Alex born in 1998. Remember how in the previous story my mom told me all of the women in our family have specialities... For whatever reason, my sister has none, but my baby brother Alex also has some of these specialities, if not all of them. Little side story, my brother actually saved my mom's life just by being born. They had done all the normal blood work during her pregnancy with no abnormalities. However, one month after my brother was born, her doctor was doing a routine follow-up with my mom following my brother's birth. In that blood work is how they discovered several abnormalities – For some reason, unknown to my doctor, my mom, who is a nurse, and still to this day myself, there were no abnormalities in any blood work before his pregnancy or throughout it either. By the way, I've been an EMT since 2006 and a medical assistant since 2016. The doctor explained, had it not been for her having my brother, these abnormalities may have been discovered too late. FYI, she had cancer. But it was caught so early that she has now been cancer-free for 20 years. My point was that maybe this is why he has specialities. Who knows? In the previous story I told you all about my Aunt Sheila who passed away in 1992. Alex was born in 1998 so he never knew her. When Alex was three years old and I was 17 at the time, this is when my mom and I knew Alex was in this little circle of ours. My mom was in her room talking with my then three-year-old brother and I was in the kitchen right next to my mom's bedroom door. I want to point out that my stepfather, Alex's father, was routinely in the basement and my brother would always go down there with him. If he knew his dad was down there, he would just open the door and go down there with him. As I was standing in the kitchen, I saw my brother walk by like he was holding someone's hand. As I started to ask what he was doing, my mom beat me to it. Alex, what are you doing? And without missing a beat, still holding this invisible hand, he turns and says, Me and Aunt Sheila are going downstairs with Daddy. And he turns, holding this hand, and walks down the stairs. My mother and I just looked at each other and I literally had to run to catch her because her knees buckled right up under her. As I sat there with her, we both began to cry. She said I was so glad she got to see him. As a reminder, my aunt died in 1992. Alex wasn't born until 1998. He never met her. We didn't talk about her and there were no pictures of her in our home as it was very painful for my mom. But at three, Alex knew her. My mom was happy that her dear sister got to see Alex. I was crying because all I could think about was how many of the scary specialities is he going to have? Of course, at eight years old, I, I don't think anybody really understands the magnitude of what a brain aneurysm is. Brain aneurysms are just its so terrifying because it's so instantaneous and so devastating and it must have been incredibly difficult for your family to sort of even get your get your head around what that actually means and how to lose how you can lose somebody so suddenly and it's just awful and making that decision to take somebody off life support is a decision that is so life-changing and hideously difficult and you sort of spend the rest of your life questioning I guess whether or not it was the right decision to make so it causes such an amount of distress and emotional upheaval that it doesn't even bear thinking about so all that to say sort of makes sense that you would be the one that your aunt would choose to communicate with because at at eight years old like you said you sort of can't really grasp what's happening And I think a lot of children don't really understand the concept of the permanence of death, that it is forever, whereas adults, you know, they understand that it means forever. And and grief, acute grief in particular, is chaotic and raw and traumatizing. So I can understand why she went, who can I communicate with that is going to be able to accept this? And of course, it was you. And then to find out that all the women in your family have this gift, Of you know clairvoyance or clairaudience or whatever it is, some version of this gift is absolutely wild and completely life changing. And I suppose for your mom, she was thinking, "I'm going to have to tell her because she's already experiencing these things. I've experienced these things. All the women in in our family have experienced these things. So I'm going to have to just tell her because what do you do? Do you say nothing and then your child is terrified by something that happens to them?" Or do you say look fair warning this may happen to you? I can see valid reasons in both approaches and I can also see that it must have been so difficult for your mum to make that decision and decide right I'm just going to tell her. And in a way it is so beautiful that Alex was experiencing your aunt Sheila but it must have been so emotional for your mum and probably felt really mixed. She's probably thinking oh does Alex also have this gift? But also, he's gotten to meet Aunt Sheila, and Aunt Sheila has gotten to see him, which is very beautiful. It must just be very difficult to have a gift like that in your family. A lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. My mom had me with my biological dad, John. By the time I was around a year old, they had split up and she met my eventual stepdad, Michael. I was 8 when Michael passed away and John passed last July. They were both my dad from the time I can remember and I loved them both very much. The first story is about Michael. I don't remember it myself, but my mom does. He was a police officer who died in the line of duty when I was 8. When he passed, his kids went to live with their mom, leaving me and my mom alone in our house. This event happened a month or two after he passed, and I was having a hard time registering that he was actually gone. I hadn't dealt with any other deaths yet. Our kitchen was shaped like a rectangle. One third of it was empty space for a breakfast table. It had a huge window facing the backyard. We had a dining room as well, so the breakfast nook was empty except for my computer. Of course it wasn't a real working computer, it was one of the thick, cube-shaped ones from the 90s and hadn't worked in years. I wanted to be a teacher growing up, so my parents let me keep it to grade my students' work and send report cards. One evening, I was sitting on the floor typing away while my mom was fixing dinner. She said that I got really quiet, so she looked over at me and I was looking out the big window at nothing. She asked if I was having a hard time grading and I said no I'm just watching daddy he's wearing those spiky shoes walking back and forth again. He would spend weekends manually aerating our yard in shoes that had spikes on the bottom. I watched him for a few moments and then went back to typing on my computer. Like I said I don't remember it at all but my mom definitely got weirded out by how casual I acted. A few years later, I had another experience with Michael that I actually do remember for myself. We missed him and my step-siblings so much. We did everything we could to stay out of the house so we wouldn't have to think about it at all. We really just slept there at this point. One morning, I was getting ready for school, brushing my teeth, and I saw something in the hallway out of the corner of my eye, so I turned. I saw my dad standing there, as if he were on the way to my mom's room just watching me, I've been fascinated with the paranormal forever, so initially I just stopped and thought, What's daddy doing here? Then the reality hit me. It wasn't actually him because I couldn't see his legs. He was visible, but slightly translucent. Then I got scared. I screamed for my mom and ran down the hall and threw him. Pretty brave, if you ask me. My mom heard my scream and rushed to me. We collided at her doorway. I explained what I saw and she just held me for a bit. We stood there, right where his apparition had been and cried a little. All the months of avoiding our home in his memory came rushing back all at once. She took off work and I got to skip school that day. We enjoyed our day at home as best we could, reminiscing. I have not seen him again, but I feel him every so often when I see a red cardinal sitting outside my window. This last story is about my biological dad, John. His death was a much different experience for me and I didn't take it the same way. Michael's death was sudden and unexpected, but cancer would be drawn out. My dad told me and my two half-siblings that he had about six months to live. The trauma of a parent dying when I was young led me to have a morbid sense of humour, but my biological dad was the same, so we got along great. I knew my dad was scared about his prognosis, so I tried to lighten his mood instead of being sad about it saying things like we weren't saying goodbye because he would always be there as he worsened and spent more time in the hospital my dad my siblings and i made it into a running joke like him still being around to watch us if we did anything bad he would haunt us his body was cremated and divided between his wife me and my two siblings a male friend from out of state had come to visit shortly after this we had a long day at the beach So he made a bed out of my living room couch and I went to shower shortly after we got back home. As I was getting out I heard my friend screaming my name. I grabbed a towel and ran down the hall asking what was wrong. He was still lying on the couch but the lights were on now and as I entered the room I heard the camera shutter on my security system signalling that it was closing after recording some movement. I assumed it would have been from my friend trying to find his way in the dark or something. He told me that he was scrolling on his phone and heard a clicking noise. Then the lights came on and began flickering. We love scary movies and stuff so initially he thought I was messing with him. He turned towards the light switch behind him but I wasn't there. The flickering continued though and that's when he realised that I was still showering. I asked if he was joking with me and he assured me that he wasn't lying. I got spooked but I wanted to investigate some more in case he was trying to scare me. I thought about the click that he said he heard and thought of my security camera. I said that we should look through the footage. I went to the app on my phone and the timeline of activity didn't show a motion detection or a recording. There was nothing noted on the timeline after I had set it an hour earlier. But I had heard the camera shutter click so it had to have recorded something. I reloaded and waited in case it was just taking its time to upload from the camera to the app. Nothing. Nothing. Looking back, I think it was my dad warning my friend to not try anything. You see, my dad was old fashioned and didn't think girls and boys could be platonically friends. This friend is gay, but my dad had never met him, and thus I think he just came by to visit and saw a boy in my house and got protective. Megan, I'm really sorry that you had that experience of losing two father figures in your life. I think it's very beautiful that you were able to say that both Michael and John were your dad. And that you loved them both very much. And Megan, your story was really beautiful. Um, But I will say, even though it's very sweet that you <laughs> wanted to be a teacher when you were growing up. And you were grading your students' work and sending report cards, which is very sweet. The fact that you were watching your dad in the garden in his spiky shoes walking back and forth again must have absolutely terrified your mom in that moment. And I think it calls for the jingle. If they have black eyes, talk about past lives. Fill your heart with dread standing by your bed. See ghosts in their room or foretell your doom. They're a creepy kid. Thank you, Mary, as always, for your very beautiful and musical interjection. I think that your story about seeing the apparition of Michael in your house, obviously at the time, must have been very difficult and scary and frightening. But it also seems that it sort of provided you and your mom a way to release some of those feelings and to release some of that grief which in itself is very beautiful and lol at your protective dad John being like let me tell you you've got a boy in this house I'm going to show him who's boss thank you so much for listening to today's episode thank you to Julie and Megan for sending in your stories remember the last story came from September the 15th 2023 and if you would like to send in your story, you can do so by emailing it to real You can also check out the website RealifeghStoriespodcast.com. And if you are desperate for some extra spooky content, you can subscribe to the Patreon. That is patreon.com forward slash real stories, where for $5 a month or $2 a month, you get access to heaps of extra content as well as every single main and mini episode completely ad-free. And on that note, I shall see you tomorrow. Planning for your next trip?